wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Backchat, exploring the five pillars of health with Dr. Paul Bergamo and Dr. Anthony Coxon. Welcome to Backchat. My name is Paul Bergamo and it's great to be here in our next podcast. Backchat is about being your best. It does this by exploring the five pillars of health. It refers to being your best in thinking, moving, eating, sleeping, and also in your neurology. Today's Backchat will cover actually a number of these pillows, pillars as we explore the very important topic of aged care. To help me as always, it's a great pleasure to introduce my fellow chiropractor and co-host, Anthony Coxon. G'day, Anthony. How are you going? Hi, Paul. I'm going very well. It's a, it's a different podcast that we've got running today. It's not a topic that we've covered before in terms of aged care. And it, as you sort of alluded to in your little introduction there, it's hard to fit this into one of our health pillows. It's a pillars. That, now, are you, now I'm saying pillows no, instead of pillows. <laughs> You've got me uh, <laughs> going. going. Sleep, Anthony. What's um, going on? But, but it's, it, it really is, I think, one of those um, topics that's so incredibly important that I suspect a lot of people leave uh, till the last minute to have yes. these sorts of conversations, and, um, and and I'm really sort of looking forward to it today. I was reminded when we were um, considering this about uh, that B.J. Palmer quote, and okay. when he said that... Uh, Who's B.J. Palmer for yeah. our non-chiropractic people? All right, of course, B.J. Palmer was probably the reason that there is a chiropractic okay. uh, in the yep. world today. His father was the founder of chiropractic, and it was B.J. Palmer that pretty much drove yep. uh, the profession in those early struggling years. Um before it obviously eventually became very mainstream. Um, but one of his quotes was that life should be like a burning candle that brights, that uh, shines brightly from the moment that is lit and then uh, flutters at the very end and disappears. Okay. Um, and, of course, we know that, unfortunately, life isn't always like that, that sometimes people have prolonged mental health or physical health issues that need extra care, and uh, we're going to be talking to an expert about that today. Yeah, we are. It's fantastic. So we've got Rachel Lane with us to, on our call this morning. Rachel's the principal of aged care gurus and co-author of, of a number of books, including the very popular Aged Care Who Cares with Noel Whitaker. Rachel oversees a national network of financial advisors dedicated to providing quality advice to older Australians and their families. Rachel's been working in the finance services industry for 17 years and specialised in retirement and aged care for more than a decade. She holds a Master's of Financial Planning. Hi, Rachel. How are you going? Very good. Thanks, Paul. Excellent. Now, Rach, uh, we probably should uh, share with our back chat listeners how you and I know each other because uh, we've been friends for a long, long time, haven't we? Uh, I was actually just thinking about that the other day and um, realised that we've been friends for 20 years, Anne. Yeah, that's right, which, is, of course, is the age of my son, Joel. Um, Paul, did I, just to fill you in on this story, um, <laughs> I, I used to take Joel to Jimbaroo when he oh, was, uh, I guess, one or there, thereabouts, maybe even slightly younger. And at that particular time, Rachel, you were working as a... Nanny. As a nanny. So, right. okay. uh, so Child care to aged care. Exactly. So <laughs> right. she's, over the time we've known each other, Rachel's covered the whole spectrum, you know, from <laughs> the very young to, to the very old. So uh, so thank you so much, Rach, for, for being a part of uh, Backchat today. So we're, we're talking aged care. Now, Now, when is it that a, that an individual or, or indeed a, a family needs to start thinking about their, their home environment and, and planning for the, the twilight years? people start thinking about where they would like to live uh, when it comes time to retire, largely because they're empty nesters. Um, And so that's always a good time to start forward planning. It's not necessarily 
to say that you have the expectation at that time that you will ever need care, uh, but I guess having the ability to have an environment that is adaptable to care is it's a sensible idea. So a lot of people, when they downsize, they tend to downsize to a single-level house, uh, and that can be quite clever. Or some people downsize to a, a two-storey house, but it has the function that they can live all, all on the ground level and have guest bedrooms or whatever it is upstairs that they don't necessarily need in the longer term for their day-to-day living. And I guess at that stage, you're, um, you know, we're talking about people who, if they're healthy and well, they might be in their their late 60s or, or 70s, uh, maybe even a little bit younger. Um, at, at this stage, uh, the people that you deal with, are they already starting to think about, okay, stairs might be uh, a hazard, getting in and out of the bath might be a hazard, maybe I should put a rail here, maybe I should put a protective barrier there, those sorts of things? Yeah, and... I mean, even some of the modern-day houses that are being built, they're being built with what we call care infrastructure. So one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that to have grab rails in bathrooms and things like that uh, actually requires some serious engineering. So those things can be put into the wall with no grab rail put on the outside but knowing that the anchors are there and in the future if you choose to have a grab rail, it can be installed rather than trying to retrofit the grab rail in, which can be very, very expensive. It's interesting, Rachel. Personally, I've got parents, uh, mum's 87, dad's 90, turning 91 in September. We're actually going through all this at the moment. Um, And actually, in a a week's time, we've got what's called an ACAS assessment, which you'd be aware of. Mm -hmm. Uh, Can you explain to our viewers what that is? Because that really talks to this sort of topic about setting up uh, the home facility at the best uh, possible levels. Sure. So in Victoria, we call it ACAS, and in the rest of the country, it's called ACAT. Um, ACAT or ACAS uh, stands for Aged Care Assessment Team or Aged Care Assessment Service. They perform the same function, which is to assess somebody's ability to perform day-to-day activities for themselves as well as their need for uh, medical care. And when they do that assessment, they then approve somebody for either care in the home through a home care package, uh, respite stays in an aged care facility or permanent entry into an aged care facility. And one of the things I always like to tell people is it's really important to have as many of those boxes on the assessment ticked as possible. It's not necessarily that you plan today on entering permanent residential aged care tomorrow, but if the box isn't ticked, you can't have that service. So because you don't necessarily know what your future needs are and because a lot of people say, well, I just want the home care package, the box just for the home care package gets ticked and then perhaps you might need a respite stay because someone who's looking after you um, is going on holiday or they may need some time to recover from something themselves and you can't get access to it because the box isn't ticked. You need to be reassessed to get the next level of approval. And and the assessments themselves, while they're they're free and they're easy, um, there can be very long waiting times to get the assessment done. 
And perhaps a, a word of advice to to fall away from the trap that we fell into with our parents being pretty stubborn. <laughs> We're pretty fine. We don't need you guys. Blah, 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 blah. And then we've now forced the issue because mum's had a couple of falls, dad's brain's starting to slow down with memory. So we've now forced the issue. Can you give some advice to our, our back chat listeners perhaps to maybe get into this earlier and get into the system earlier versus leaving it too late? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, the it's, it's one of those things that you can't obviously have an aged care assessment until you need aged care. So there's not much point running out and getting an ACAT before you need care because you won't be approved. But that said, most people do leave it too long and there's a bit of an expectation that when they need the care, they'll be able to get the assessment done quickly and they'll be able to access the care quickly and neither of those things are true. So in most states of Australia at the moment, we see waiting times anywhere between 8 and 20 weeks uh, for the assessment to be carried out and then depending on what type of care you need to access, uh, we see waiting times of anywhere between a week and a year. Um, so if, if you think that when you need the care, you're going to get the assessment done and you're going to access the care and that's all going to happen very quickly, um, you could be in for a real shock. So it's best to get the ball rolling on those things as soon as possible, understanding that there can be these very long wait times and you may need to, for example... If you want a home care package, you may need to put your name down on a list and wait four months, six months for that home care package to start being delivered to you. It's an interesting thing, Paul, because uh, obviously you alluded to before about the the stubbornness. I mean, we're all um, we all like to think of ourselves. I imagine as you know, independent beings. We don't want to be a burden on ourselves. We yes. don't want to be a burden on our family. Yep. We don't want to be a burden on society. So, um, I guess the ultimate goal here would be to do create an environment where someone can be safe. I mean, we have uh, I know patients of mine who recently have just. Um, Pull down their home and put down, put up two units, one for their yeah. elderly parents and one for yeah. them. So okay. you know, just the proximity, knowing that if something yes. happens, there's going to be someone to help them. You, what's the, what sort of things do you do with your? Parents? Yeah, well, we've got. I mean, we've got three siblings, and my brother lives across the road from yeah. my for my folks. So yeah. um, that wasn't planned in the sense for for looking after this sort of situation. But now it's come, I suppose, serendipitously. It's, it's been very handy because uh, he can check in on them just briefly. Um, his kids can pop in just to check in um having said all that there are still many things that go on that we don't know about yes <laughs> with uh you know there was in the last few weeks ago the phone wasn't working for two days and um i popped in to check in and uh, my father says to me the phone's not working i go right so we went through the process and systems i said by the way how long has it not been working for I don't know, a few days, and for all I know, it could have been a week if no one called them sort of scenario. <laughs> so uh, we're onto the phone optus, and all it was was a disconnect, reconnect sort of scenario. But, you know, and, you know, f- there's been hidden falls, there's been hidden things here and there. Mm. That even despite the fact of the close surveillance, they will still, not maybe not knowingly, but I think on the context, oh, we don't want to bother you guys, but unbeknown, it's actually far more stressful us not knowing than having to do uh, Absolutely. big stuff all of a sudden. So, so Rachel, I suppose... Um, 
how quickly people transition through this process would depend very much on their family support that they already have. In Paul's case, there's three siblings, one living across the road. Um, that, that's, that, that's, there's less of an urgency maybe in, in that environment than someone who has children that live interstate or those sorts of things? Um, well, and it depends on the care needs and, um, I mean, people get support from um, from people other than family, so sometimes they get support from neighbours or uh, volunteers from the church. There's a whole range of um, people who support uh, people who need care. Um, and in fact, Access Economics did a report um, about what it would cost us to replace all of the informal care um, in this country, and they estimated that the cost would be more than a billion dollars a year wow. to replace all of the families and friends and neighbours and all of those people who provide um, different levels of support to people. But I, I guess the thing that... Um, that I really would like people to know um, is that the majority of people who access aged care services in this country don't live in an aged care facility. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest fears um, and that's one of the reasons why people are perhaps not as upfront as they need to be um, about things that they're struggling with in their day-to-day -day activities. So uh, I know with my grandma, you know, she lived in a retirement village and if one of the other residents uh, had a fall and, and one of the other residents did have a fall, and a number of falls, uh, they would take it in turns to drive her to the hospital rather than ring an ambulance because mm. they were concerned that if they rang an ambulance that they would take her to an aged care facility. Oh, dear. Look, so yeah, yeah it's um, it's a bit of a misnomer that everyone who receives aged care in this country um, gets shipped off to an aged care facility. There's more than a million people who receive aged care, and uh, two hundred thousand of them live in an aged care facility. So you're really talking about um, the minority of people in that scenario. Rachel, can you speak to? Uh uh, regards enduring power of attorneys. So there's the three levels of financial, guardianship and medical. Can you explain to our back chat listeners about this? Because those who don't know about this, it's really important to understand. Yeah, it, it is. Um, and there, there are some fabulous articles uh, put out by a lawyer named um, Brian Hurd that covers um, the importance of having the right documents, so the right powers of attorney, um, the guardianship, uh, wills, those sorts of things. What it boils down to for me is whether you want someone to be able to make decisions when you can't yeah, or whether you want that person to have to go to a court and seek that power at that time. Now, most people have someone in their life that they know and love and trust to make those decisions and it's just a case of putting that into a document. So if you trust somebody to look after your money and you're not capable of doing it, then put that into a power of attorney. Make sure that the power of attorney endures any loss of capacity. So what people think that if they grant uh, an enduring power of attorney, that their power of attorney today can go off and access their bank account. Mm. It doesn't work that way. While you have capacity, your power of attorney can only do what they are instructed to do by you. 
if it's an enduring power of attorney, that person can adhere to your instructions even after you've lost the capacity to instruct instruct them. So you can tell them these are the things that need to be looked after if I can't look after them myself, and they must do that in accordance with your wishes. And so... Wills, yeah. Sorry, Rachel, just with that power of attorney then, that, that, when does that get activated? Is that on the, uh, a, a medical doctor writing a certificate and saying that a person is not in a position to make decisions? Well, that can be very murky. Um, most powers of attorney uh, – sorry, I'm getting a lot of feedback on this phone now. Um, most powers of attorney start before somebody loses capacity – yeah. And they simply endure the loss of capacity. It's interesting, Rachel, because going through this personally, we've sorted the financial aspects out, but the medical one, I've had to sit with my folks down and I've said to them the exact same conversation, this is a good decision because then myself or whoever you nominate as a family member to act as your f- medical power of attorney, we can make the best in- best decisions under your instructions now uh, versus later on. And, you know, again, being a little bit old school, mum and dad have come back saying, well, how much does it cost? And I said, don't worry about how much yeah. it costs. And they go, why do I want to know about this? Oh, come on, this is important. So, I mean, I've had to drip feed information as a particular document that the uh, legal society puts out with given mum now to read the next stage because we just you also can't go in there and say okay just do this this is going to be better for you just do it we know that's probably the the, the outcome we're after because it's going to be best for them but their reciprocation of the information in our circumstance anyway is very slow so leave that i'll probably pop in the next week and go now how'd you go with that haven't read it this is a paragraph any advice there because i know it's very case specific but um that's something which i've found probably personally frustrating because it's I can see what it needs to be done, but it's not me and we can only advise. Yeah, and I think to um, – I mean, it, it probably is over-simplistic, um, but the way I've always tried to explain it um, to my clients and even – you know, I mean, it's very different when you're having these conversations with family. I'm, I'm having these conversations in my family at the moment um, with my grandmother and – it is probably oversimplistic to say, but the the way I always present it is to say, well, would you like us to make these decisions um, and what decisions would you like us to make or would you like us to leave this in the hands of a court or a tribunal to appoint someone to make those decisions for you? Um, and it sounds awful, but most people will think, well, I think my loved ones will make a better decision than someone who's never met me. Yeah. Um, and and it, it, it does kind of um, create a need for the document to be done um, because no one – I mean, it's like, uh, it's like prepaying a funeral, right? Prepaid funerals can be a fabulous investment because inflation on funerals is far higher than the interest you can earn in a bank account. <laughs> Certainly at the but moment it is. most people aren't going to run out and prepay a funeral because most people don't want to think about no. that they're going to pass away. It's the same thing with powers of attorney and wills. Most people don't want to think about a day that might come when they have lost their capacity to make decisions for themselves mm, yes. or a day that might come when they're not here 
and their assets need to be transferred to other people. Mm. So that, that's where the reluctance comes from. And that's perfectly understandable, isn't it? Absolutely, Ra- yeah. Ra- Rach, let's just take a step back um, and talk about the sort of the transitions, the, the, the logical first transition that um, quite often a, you know, a perfectly helpful, healthy, able couple or individual might make is uh, going into a re- retirement village or something like that. What are the costs involved? Do, do people buy a home in there or do they lease? How does that typically work? Um, so when it comes to retirement communities, they tend to fall into two buckets. They're either a retirement village or a land lease community, um, what used to be called lifestyle villages. And the big difference between a retirement village and a land lease community is that in a retirement village, your contract is over your dwelling, you know, your house, your unit, your apartment, Mm -hmm. whereas in a land lease community, you actually own your home um, outright and you lease the land on which it sits. Right. So it it creates this um, very interesting situation where you're a homeowner and you're a tenant at exactly the same time. Yeah. Uh, and that's what makes people eligible for rent assistance uh, in those communities. And people say to me, well, I don't understand. Well, if your principal place of residence was a yacht um, and you needed to moor that yacht, yeah. then Centrelink, if you were eligible for the pension, would pay you rent assistance for the mooring on your yacht because it's your principal place of residence. It's, it's a similar thing. You are mooring your house on someone else's land. Yeah. Be good if you lived in Monaco. I was, was going to say, do, do they still pay for assistance if it's a 90-foot yacht, uh, Rach? <laughs> is it means-tested, well, Rachel? Because I mean, you know, residence is yeah. exempt. Uh, and well, is the helicopter, helicopter pad, is that also included in that, that, that rental assistance? <laughs> it's all about the taxes you paid over your whole lifetime. So, 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 um, so to, to, to understand this, um, the contracts, uh, I'm assuming, are up until the time that the person either chooses not to be or no longer can be uh, suitably accommodated accommodated in that retirement village? Well, and and that's the really important question to ask Um, because most people who are moving into a retirement village or uh, a lifestyle community are not thinking about care. But it's really important to ask the question, what would happen if I needed care? Yes. Some of these communities are built to deliver care. And they will provide the care to you and they will have a schedule of fees and charges that apply and they will say, yes, absolutely, this is our, you know, bronze, silver, gold um, care packages. Which one would you like? We'll start delivering it to you tomorrow. Other uh, retirement communities are what I call carefree communities and that basically means if you need care, you need to leave. Yes, Um, And then you've got everything along the spectrum. So you'll have some communities who say, well, absolutely, you can get care, but you have to sort it out yourself just like you would if you stayed at home. Yep. So uh, people need to know where they stand um, in terms of, you know, where where the village or the community sits on that spectrum of the ability to get care if and when they need it. And so some facilities, I suppose, have... Uh, independent living in the, mm-hmm. and then they move into dependent living in the same uh, dem- in the same area. Is that right? The, the facilities set up often accordingly according to that, so they can often move fifty meters up the road into more dependent care. Is that common? 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There, there are um, retirement villages and aged care facilities in the same building. Um, you know, the bottom right. level is retirement living and the second level is aged care. Um, it's important to understand that even though there may not be anything that designates one from the other, um, legally and financially, it's like apples and oranges, you know, they're completely different beasts in terms of the contract, the financial arrangements uh, and all of those types of things. So um, while they may look the same, um, they are very, very different um, from, a, from a legal and financial standpoint. So I guess, like you said, there's definitely a spectrum there, isn't there? At one end, the the careless uh, sort of facilities, as you describe them, um, I have an attraction to the person who's thinking, "Gee, I want a home that's you know maintenance free, that um, that I'm going to be able to go there and be with people of a similar uh, age." So there's that sort of friendship, camaraderie, connection. There's going to be lots of activities. We'll go on, you know, bus journeys into you know rural Victoria, or you might even go on overseas trips as a group. All these kind of attractions but then at some stage that will be good for a certain time period but at some stage when things start to slow up or their the aging process um, gathers a bit of momentum that environment's not going to be so good and I guess mm. where are you with your dad he's well, uh, well mum and dad I mean we're we're still grappling we're still in the family home right. that, that I grew up in and um, but we're trying now with the ACAS assessment to bring more support structures into the family home because their view and wanted to stay in the family home yeah dad, dad still drives and that's a big issue of course as well because and I've popped in the car with him just to check how it's going just and he goes to only certain spots and he's seems to work it out pretty well but you know that's a big issue as well so we're still trying to build up the services and supports to keep them in the family because that's their wish but obviously we've got to look down to the next phase because that's not going to always be and you know it can be one phone call we know it can change everything yeah um so yeah i suppose it's trying to look forward a little bit in regards uh, and trying to cater for their needs because you know dad's brain starting to struggle memory wise so there's there's different places in there right so there's wards for dementia etc things like that there's specialists components under these a lot of these facilities as well um as well as you know italian speaking so thinking about those components it's, yeah it's a lot to it yeah there is and making sure i mean people seem to bunch aged care facilities into one homogenous group um and you know aged care facilities are, are very very different they all have different i mean it, it's kind of like picking a school for your children they all have different ethoses they all have different ways of going about things when it comes to dementia care um you have some aged care facilities who have fabulous um diversional therapy programs where they have um so you know huge courtyards in the middle of the building that have cars that uh, people can drive and bus stops and letterboxes and um all sorts of activities um that people like to repeat you know over and over as part of the behaviors that go with dementia uh, and then you have facilities at the other extreme who treat dementia as a as a medical issue, and they use um, a lot of uh, psychotropic drugs 
to deal with the behaviours rather than let the residents play those behaviours out. So they're very, very different. And one thing that um, I really stress to people is to do their homework, not just on how pretty the walls are and how nice the fireplaces are and is the food good, but are you going to be happy with the type of care that mum or dad gets and the way in which they get it? Because the walls don't do the caring. Well, uh, Rach, look, this, I think this is the, some, you made some great points there. And I must say in terms of um, my personal experience, my mother is now the matriarch, I guess, of our extended family. My grandparents and their, my great uncles and so forth and aunties have all passed away not so long ago. But we, So it's been a little while since we've been in that environment. I can say one thing that, um, and, this is, and this is why we're having this podcast, it's so important to understand before you jump into these sorts of things. In your experience, Paul, your uh, parents, more of a traditional uh, type being the Italians and mm. want to stay in the family home right to the very end. Mm. Others will obviously... Th- See, well, gee, you know that that retirement village thing—that's attractive. I might want to be involved and engaged in that sort of experience while I still feel young and you know mm. moving about. Um, but um, it's certainly been my experience that they, that that end stage, both in, in the you know in the whether it's uh, you know high, low, or medium care, that that the people working in those environments are really terrific people. We've had some mm. some great uh, people looking after my uh, um, my great uncles and uh, grandparents but clearly there's some traps uh, when we're thinking about this process. Can you just maybe go through some of the common mistakes that people make, Rach, in terms of uh, going through this process? Yeah, so a few a few common mistakes that people make are um, if, they're a, if they're a couple, for example, there can be benefits for one person to move in before the other. Um, and that's that's because um, while one person is staying at home, the house is exempt. So, for example, Paul, with your mum and dad, um, if mum was to move into aged care today um, and dad was staying at home today, dad would exempt the home from mum's means test. Now, the reason that can be of benefit is because... Uh, if you have assets below a certain amount at the moment, it's about $159,000 and you have income below the full pension, which is about $25,500 a year, you qualify to be supported by the government um, in meeting the cost of your accommodation and care. And while people think, oh, well, that's going to limit the aged care facilities that I can move to, um, the the misconception there is that um, about 40% of people who live in residential aged care qualify as financially disadvantaged and aged care facilities must maintain a ratio of those people in order to get government funding. Yes. Yeah. So um, so people think that they're going to get, you know, some sort of substandard of accommodation or care um, and in actuality that may not be the case at all. Mm. Um, because they do have these ratios. So that's probably one thing that I would say is if you are a couple, make sure you understand that timing issue. Um, The other trap that people fall into is making the assumption that they will have to sell the family home to fund the cost of care. Um, The government don't sell your house. 
Um, you make the choice. Uh, and if you don't investigate your options about keeping it and renting it versus selling it, you may be missing out on an opportunity because there are very special rules that can apply to the asset value of that house and to any income received from that house, i.e. rent. Um, so the house can remain exempt as an asset for calculating someone's pension and the rent can be exempt from the calculation of their pension as well. There's certain criteria they have to meet, but that, it's not difficult criteria. So looking at the way in which you pay for your cost of care um, is a really good idea because it will have implications on your pension. It will impact on what the cost of care is. It will impact on how much money is left either to your children or for yourself if you decide to move to another aged care facility. It will impact on your cash flow. It will impact on your tax. So there is a lot of complexity in it, but the complexity comes from having choice. Mm. And people throw their arms up and go, oh, it's too complicated. Well, it's complicated because you've got choice, and that's a good thing. We don't want the government to take away people's choices. The bad part about that is you've got to educate yourself so that you make the choice that's right for you and not just do what Joe Bloggs down the road did because what he did probably isn't what what's best for you. Yes, and that's where obviously having conversations with people like yourself, Rachel, are so critical. Uh, in, in summing up, can you maybe uh, give us three take-home messages, uh, three salient points that, uh, that you think the Backchat listeners uh, need to know about? Sure. Well, um, as Paul touched on, get an ACAT. Get an ACAT. If you need care or you have someone who needs care, organise for that assessment as soon as possible. Uh, you can ring the government's My Aged Care helpline um, and they can put you in touch with either a regional um, assessment service or an ACAT team um, to organise for that assessment to be carried out. If you are looking at moving to a retirement community, a retirement village, an over-55s community, the biggest determinant of of how happy you will be living there is the vibe. Yeah. And I know that sounds really cliche, but it is the other residents that will more often than not make or break your experience. So, so yes, look at the floor plans. Yes, look at the, you know, the different facilities, the swimming pool and the bowling green, and certainly ask the question about care, but make sure that you take the time to get to know the other residents so attend the open days attend the social functions if they've got the ability to rent a unit there for six months or 12 months um, do that and and get to know the place and then you'll make a decision that's really well informed mm. um, and when it comes to aged care um, you know get really good uh, legal and financial advice to make sure that um, you understand all the different consequences of the decisions that you're making and that you can get access to the care you want and you can afford it. Anthony, you know what? We've talked about a lot of really, really tough issues in back chat. You know, I recall back to Lisa with working with disabilities. I, I recall talking to Mandy about chronic pain. Uh, our, one of our recent podcasts with Wayne Swass talking about clinical depression. Yeah. And this one has been terrific because it is it goes into another area which is really difficult to talk about. It you is, know, it's yeah. it's um, you, we all love our parents. We want the best for them. We, I mean, I'm, myself personally, and every person who understands and resonates with this show gets the, the thing where you grapple with what's the right thing to do. Um, you know that the end course is going to be the end course, but. 
I'm really glad what Rachel sort of presented to us and also going through the logistics with these sort of things, the preventive sort of advice to get in early with these sort of assessments. It's it's so important. It's a conversation we've got to have early, not later, don't you absolutely, think? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, Rachel, thank you so much for sharing uh, your, your, your time and your, and your wisdom with us. I think uh, the Backchat listeners would have gotten a lot out of today. I know I certainly have. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks for having me. To find out more about Rachel's services in her book, Aged Care Who Cares, you can check uh, the website, www.agecaregurus.com.au. Thank you for listening to Backchat. To stay abreast with updates with Backchat, please go to our Facebook page, www.facebook.com.au.com forward slash Backchat podcast. All rather relevant website links to today's podcast will be in our Backchat podcast Facebook page. If you like this show, please leave a five-star rating on iTunes. We leave you with one thought. Be the best at what you do, and you will grow and inspire others around you. We look forward to catching up with you on our next Backchat podcast. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.